The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Ever wondered how a book gets made into a movie? Or how to master the art of cooking? Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. On our podcast, we're going to be serving you a fresh perspective of the entertainment industry alongside our favorite celebrity guests. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon. It's Pharrell on the bench in the biggest way possible. Hanging out the best. City broker data bad. I bought a bad attitude. Hanging around a bunch of bad attitude. Bad taste. Bad luck. Bad dude. Bad breath. Bad attitude. Bad vibes. So I was stoked with that Hall of Fame induction class that they announced that's going to get into Springfield in August into the hall. Just a stack class. Tim Duncan, the big fundamental. Kobe Bryant. Obviously, just tragedy that he died in a helicopter accident. And then you had the big ticket, KG, Kevin Garnett. Crazy careers that they had. You knew they were all getting in. It was just a bizarre year with David Stern dying, then Bryant, and then the COVID just ruining basketball. But that Hall of Fame ceremony is going to be a celebration of Bryant and really what he, Duncan, and Garnett accomplished in their career. So you look at that class of Bryant, Duncan, and Garnett, and how does it stack up against other Hall of Fame classes? They rank all of them, at least they did, and they have so many of them. The 09 class with Michael Jordan, David Robinson, and John Stockton was unbelievable. And then you look at all those championships that they won there, and then this class, they rank number two with Duncan, Bryant, and Garnett. And then number three was the 1980 class with Jerry West, Oscar Robertson, and Jerry Lucas. Number four was the 2016 class with the Diesel, Shaq O'Neal, Allen Iverson, the answer, Zalmo Beatty, and Yao Ming. And then number five was 1995 with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Vern Mickelson. Number six was 1979, Wilt Chamberlain. Uh, number seven was 2010 with Carl, the mailman Malone, Scotty Pippen, Dennis Johnson, and Gus Johnson. Number eight was 2018 with Jason Kidd, Steve Nash, Ray Allen, Grant Hill, Maurice Cheeks, Charlie Scott, and Dina Raja. That's a great class when you think about it. Just Kidd, Nash, Allen, and Hill alone. And Mo Cheeks had game for sure. Number nine was 93 with Julius Irving, Dan Issel, Walt Bellamy, Dick McGuire, Bill Walton, and Calvin Murphy. That's a sick class. And then number 10 was 2008 with Hakeem Olajuwon, Patrick Ewing, and AD Adrian Dantley, who had sick game. No questions asked. But I just wanted to talk about what some of these guys meant to me, like watching them play. The big ticket, this ain't no joke. KG, are you kidding me? So I went for a run, and I wore my Celtic green shorts and a green shirt. 
I was rocking my big ticket look while I was jogging in honor of KG, who was so phenomenal as a player. Garnett won a title in Boston, an MVP award. He was named to 15 all-star teams and earned nine all-NBA honors during his 21 seasons with the T-Wolves, Celtics, and Brooklyn Nets. And he said it was a culmination. You put countless hours into this. You dedicate yourself to a craft. You take no days off. You play through injuries. You play through demise. You play through obstacles. You give no excuses for anything. You learn. You build. This is a culmination. All those hours. This is what you do it for right here. For me to be called a Hall of Famer is everything. And, I mean, he was so much fun to watch play ball. Never played college ball. Came right out of high school. And what he did in Boston was just absolutely leadership stuff. They were so terrible before he got there. And then when he got there, he changed the culture and everything. I heard Paul Pierce talking about it, that he made everybody accountable every single day in practice and on the floor in games. And their whole universe turned upside down once they got Garnett in Boston. And he really was phenomenal what he was able to do there. And when he won the title, no one will ever forget it when he said, everything's possible. So I just thought he was fantastic. I'll get more into KG in a little bit. The class had more than that. They had WNBA All-Star Tamika Catchings of the Indiana Fever. Coach uh, Kim Mulkey of the three-time NCAA champion Baylor Bears. She's a great coach. Five-time Division II Coach of the Year, Barb Stevens of Bentley. Four-time NCAA Coach of the Year, Eddie Sutton. And former Rockets, Coach Rudy Tomjanovich, a two-time NBA champion as a coach with the Rockets. And those finalists got in along with longtime FIBA executive Pat Bauman. So nine get in. You go back to Bryant and his daughter, Gianna, among nine who died in the helicopter crash on January 26th. You still can't believe it, right? And then Stern died January 1st after suffering a brain hemorrhage weeks earlier. And then Kobe's wife said it's definitely the peak of his NBA career and every accomplishment that he had as an athlete was a stepping stone to be here. They usually announce it during the Final Four weekend, but because of the Pharrell Demick going on, they just did it. And then Duncan, a five-time champ, a two-time MVP, and both a 15-time All-Star and All-NBA selection who played his entire 19-year career for the Spurs. He said it's kind of the end of the journey here. He was breaking up. It was an incredible career that I enjoyed so much. To call it a dream come true isn't doing it any justice because I never dreamt I would be at this point. I played the game, enjoyed the game, loved what I did, and to be here now with the guys that I'll put going to the Hall of Fame with is just an amazing class. Kobe was a five-time champion, also won an MVP, was an 18-time All-Star, and a 15-time All-NBA selection during his 20 seasons with the Lakers. Jeannie Buss said, no amount of words can fully describe what Kobe meant to the Lakers. Kobe was not only a proven winner and a champion, he gave everything he had to the game of basketball. His fierce competitiveness, work ethic, and drive were unmatched. Those qualities helped Kobe lead us to five titles and have now brought him to the Hall of Fame, where he's going to be enshrined with the greatest to have ever played the game. No one deserves it more. Catchings ranks first in WNBA history in steals and is third in points and rebounds. She also won a national championship at Tennessee in 98 with Pat Summit. 
She said, I think, honestly, what Pat has meant, just what she's meant to be able to follow her lead and follow her in her footsteps. One of the main reasons I wanted to go to the University of Tennessee was to play with the best coach and play alongside amazing players. I'm just really thankful and grateful that I got the chance to go to the University of Tennessee and to be the first Hall of Famer. <laughs> That's crazy. Just crazy. Mulkey, in addition to winning an NCAA title as a player, Mulkey has won 600 games during her 20 seasons leading the Bears, including a perfect 40-0 season in 2013. She said, you meet people in your life and you're like, I want to be on their team because they absolutely hate to lose. I've always been that way. I hated to lose as a player. I hate to lose as a coach. It's just a competitive thing that honestly I think you're born with. And then you put yourself in position to play with players who appreciate you, understand you, and then work with coaches who have that same personality. The day they announced it, a ton of fans drove past her home celebrating her selections in with this group. And it's just crazy. Stevens has won over 1,000 games and a Division II championship in 2014. Over 40 years as a head coach in Bentley, which is in Waltham, Mass, up in Massachusetts. I'm so honored, so humbled to be included in this unbelievable class of inductees into the Hall of Fame. This is something that's overwhelming, the incredible emotions that I felt after receiving the call from the Hall of Fame. I can't even put it into words. Eddie Sutton was one of 10 Division I coaches to win 800 games, made the Final Four three times, and was the first coach to lead four different schools, Creighton, Arkansas, Kentucky, and Oklahoma State to the NCAA tournament. This is a very special, exciting day for our family. My dad was so honored and humbled earlier to receive a phone call from the Naismith Hall of Fame that he was gonna be included into the 20 class, said his son. My dad loved teaching the game of basketball. He had so much respect for the tradition of the game. He loved the relationships he built with his players and would be the first to tell you much of the success in his career was due to the outstanding players he coached and the great assistant coaches he had on his staff. He's 84. He's dealt with some serious health issues in recent years. He can barely speak. According to a filmmaker, recently did a documentary, Eddie, The Cost of Greatness, about his life. But it's great that he's in. So many players loved him, and they all spoke out about it. Tom Janovich was both a star player, earning five all-star bursts, and an excellent coach who piloted Houston to titles in 94 and 95 with Hakeem the Dream as the team's star. He said, it's been very suspenseful because I've been in this position before and I got the sorry, not this year. He was a finalist in 17 and 18. The first thing that happened upon learning he got into the hall was a sigh of relief and then slowly but very powerfully complete jubilation. He said, we're going to Springfield. <laughs> it's just awesome. I get really emotional talking about these guys getting in and hearing their comments about getting in and talking about the people that they worked with and played with and coached and were around on a day-to-day -day basis over the length of their careers and what people meant to them and what the game meant to them. I mean, it's just such a great game. It's just the craziest thing because I've played my whole life. I played basketball. I played a lot of ball. I played as a kid. You know, literally in elementary school, I was playing basketball. And then in junior high, high school at Indiana University, they were too good for me. But I played on a very high level at IU in the intramural program there, which was just phenomenal. It's just got to be one of the greatest in the country. I know every college thinks they have great hoops and intramurals and gyms 
where all the students play and they got open run and all that stuff. But I can guarantee you, in my estimation, without hesitation, that Indiana University has to be in the top five all-time basketball schools in the history of the game. It's just that simple. You can talk about all the other ones you want. I get it. Duke, North Carolina, I'm with you. Kansas, I can appreciate that. And all these schools matter. There's no doubt about it. I would never argue that. There's been such great tradition over the years. But Indiana's got it too. Five national championships. They mean business. And that rack, that hyper at IU on that campus, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, there's 50 courts. They're full every day, seven days a week. You could barely get on. And if you lose, you literally just sit there and wait for an hour at least to get back on with a chance to play again. And if you lose again, you might as well just go home because you'll be sitting there for another hour. So you had to win. And there was something about it. It was the most competitive, talented base of basketball players I've ever been around in my life. I just did it all the time. I just played with some fantastic players. I got lit up. I got schooled. I got beaten down. I got humiliated. I got dragged by a truck. But I also got really good at playing basketball. And I got better and better at playing basketball. And the people there made me better. They got my game to a certain level. When I was playing there, I could dunk. I could play the game above the rim. I was really getting good. Then life changes. When I got out of school, I didn't really have time to play basketball anymore. I started working at CBS. I was working at KQV in Pittsburgh. I was covering the Pirates, Steelers, and Penguins every day. I was traveling with the Steelers. I was going to every single Pirate game. I was going to every single Penguin game and practice. I went on the road with them a lot. I was just super hectic. I did morning and afternoon drive. I was just never available to play basketball. I mean, I was just consumed with my career. And I could never just go play. I guess I could have gone on the weekends. But at that time, I was young and crazy. And I was making money. And I had cash to burn. And I was single. And I was able to go party and have fun with my friends in Pittsburgh and do whatever. I tore it up. I was a young, wild, crazy dude, and on Friday nights and Saturdays, I went out, and I partied my ass off, and I just never played ball. And then the strangest thing happened. I worked my whole career all over the country in cities, doing the show, Pharrell on the Bench, everything else. You know the story. I worked in Chicago, and then I worked in Florida, then I worked in Vegas nationally, then I worked in Atlanta at CNN. And when I was working there, I just never had time to play basketball. I was on the air every day, three to seven. I had huge responsibilities. One thing led to another. I ended up in San Francisco working nights. I never played ball there. I mean, I did film a TV show there. And the opening of the TV show, I'll never forget, I laid down a tomahawk dunk in the hood. That was the opening scene of the show was me causing trouble in San Francisco. And one of the scenes was me playing basketball in the hood and dunking and going right down the lane and flush dunking Tomahawk. And that was pretty badass at the start of Pharrellavision. But eventually I moved to LA. And when I lived there, I pretty much just surfed and skateboarded. I never got into basketball. Golf was my thing at that time. I was golfing every day and 
that was it. I just wasn't playing ball anymore. It was the weirdest thing. And then later in life, strangely enough, when I moved back to New York and got married, had kids, I'm with 34C, I had Gunner, I had McKenna, and I started playing basketball again. And it was the greatest thing ever. I started playing all the time, and I started going to this Lifetime gym, and they have just great basketball facilities, great basketball courts, and I started seeing that they had runs all the time, and I started showing up and playing. And on Saturday mornings, they would have runs. Sunday mornings, they would have runs. Wednesday nights, they would have runs. And then eventually, I joined this league, and I started playing on Wednesday nights. Originally, I started a team with some guys, and we were terrible. I think we went 2-8 and eight or something like that the first season, and we were just atrocious. But we just kept adding players and building the team and getting better and better. And we started winning. We started getting first, you know, we got to 500. Then we started winning, and we were like 7-3. and three. And we made the playoffs and lost in the semifinals. And one thing led to another, and we just kept building the team and getting better and better. And then eventually, we built a championship team. And I had all these great players on my team. We had size. We were very big. We used to sing the song, for all ballers, because they're taller than the others. And we had just massive size. We had like a 6'9 guy, a 6'8 guy, and they dominated in the block. And they just blocked 10, 12 shots a game and got every single rebound, and they were both dunking. And we started winning like crazy. We started going undefeated. I think we went undefeated four times. At the end of the day, we won eight championships, and it was great. And we had all kinds of different teams. I mean, it wasn't the same team that won all eight. It was a little different each time. When we had the really big team, we won our first couple, and then a couple of those players left. The place is expensive, so a couple of them quit. They just didn't want to pay the big freight to play there. It's like a buck seventy-five a month to be a member, another buck to play. That's crazy. So a couple of them quit because of that. One of them was a great player, this kid Damon. He had bad knees, and so he couldn't play anymore. But when he played, he was so good, and the guy could run like the wind and dunk, and he could just get off the floor and absolutely pulverize the rim. He was like a athletic Charles Barkley, you know, without being fat. He just had massive game. We just added all these different pieces, and guys had to leave, and guys – wanted to start their own teams, and the team started breaking up a little bit. But the core of the team, like four or five guys of the seven, the core stayed together. We were able to win eight championships, and we lost. We've lost nine titles. We lost to one team in specifics four times in a row. We were like eight and five, and then we went to eight and nine because we lost to them four times in a row in the championship game, and that kind of sucked. Are you ready for the nation's first and only free 24-hour network dedicated to you, the betting and fantasy sports enthusiast? SportsGrid will provide you with real-time content, statistics, and gaming intelligence unlike anything you've ever seen before. Located both in the heart of New York City and inside the FanDuel Sportsbook at the Meadowlands, SportsGrid is live 18 hours a day, here to serve you, the fanatic. This is SportsGrid. Get on the grid. Have you written a book and need some insight into what comes next? Or are you passionate about cooking and want to know how to make it your career? Or maybe you just want to hear insider stories about the entertainment industry. Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. 
I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. And on our podcast, Two Guys from Hollywood, we bring our expertise to the table with, of course, delicious cocktails and all kinds of recipes for you to try at home. So grab a drink and join us. We've got a wide range of celebrity guests and Hollywood insiders to discuss pop culture, publishing, and entertainment. And we'll provide you with an unfiltered and sometimes brutally honest show about Hollywood. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon. The point of all this is I go back to the story of why this gets me so emotional when I hear these people getting into the Hall of Fame, when I hear them talking about what people mean to them when they play and how much the relationships and the players and the coaches and even the media, all of it, it turns into this fraternity. It turns into this club this group of people that you play with, it's the same thing in real life when you're playing open runs at gyms or open runs outdoors in the park or open runs in the city at 4th Street or Rucker. It's all the same thing that you eventually develop relationships and you develop friendships and you even develop enemies And then a lot of that stuff is competitive stuff. The enemy stuff can be mostly competitive. Guys that drive you nuts playing or competing against them. And there's animosity and there's tension and there's aggressiveness and trash talk, insults, the whole deal. But it's the strangest thing. There's guys that I used to get in fights with that I played against for years that I would see every single week and have these brawls with and arguments with and confrontations with and shoving and throwing balls at each other and stuff like that. You have all that animosity and it's all there. It's all real. And then eventually the strangest thing happened. I ended up with most of the people, literally almost all of them that I had problems with. If you play with them long enough, They end up being your friends. It's the craziest thing I've ever experienced in my life. I've talked about it before on my radio show where there's guys that I couldn't stand, that I hated. I wanted to smash their face in. I wanted to break their nose. I wanted to knock their teeth out. I wanted to elbow them in the mouth. I wanted to punch them in the face. And I played with them over and over and over for years and hated their guts. And then eventually the strangest thing happened. And I'm not even making this up. I became friends with them. The guys that I ended up having the most problems with, I ended up being good friends with in the end. So that's my point of all of this is that basketball does that to you. Basketball makes you learn life's lessons and it makes you learn about relationships and friends and enemies and competition and It gives you values in all those stages and departments. Literally, it teaches you everything. I know you've heard the stories. You'll hear these football players or coaches say, football teaches you life's lessons. I've heard them say it before a million times, right? But just no denying that it's true. I have never experienced anything like it in my life. It's the strangest thing. 
I've done radio and television for 35 years and I've had 50 million relationships in that business, radio, TV. And I'm around these colleagues and people and my peers every day of my life doing the show. And it's different. It's the work thing. And you definitely have relationships and friendships and camaraderie and stuff like that at work. But it's totally different. It's a completely different fabric than what playing team sports does and playing basketball did for me. I mean to tell you, when I first went to this place to play ball and picked up the game again, because I knew I had game, my biggest problem when I picked up the ball again, and I've played now for about, I'd say, I've been back playing for about nine years, almost a decade, fair enough. So let's just call it a decade. So for the last decade, I started playing ball again. And when I first went back, I'll never forget because I had game. I knew I could shoot from anywhere and put it in. And I always was a great shooter. I really was. And a great free throw shooter. And I could shoot threes and I could hit from anywhere. You know, I just was a kid that grew up playing so much ball. And I had played at every level that I could shoot from anywhere and make it. And it was just obvious that I could score. My biggest problem was is that I picked it back up at 44, and I was certainly a lot slower than I was when I was young, obviously. But when I was 44, I still had the shot. I still had size. I still had more weight than I'd ever carried before. But the bottom line is I started getting over 200 pounds. So when I was a kid playing, I was always as skinny as a rail, and I was super light, and so I could get off the ground and dunk. I mean, I was fast, I was quick, and I didn't weigh anything, so I could fly through the air and dunk. And I was long, you know, I was 6'3 and a buck 75. So fast forward 25 years, I'm 44 years old, and I noticed that I had no hops, and I had no speed, and I had no lateral movement. And so, strangely enough, that was the weakness of my game. And it was painfully obvious to me that I couldn't do those things anymore because I was older. So what I did was I trained. I knew that I had to get quicker and I knew I had to get some level of hops back. I had to get the ability to jump back so that I could change my game and I could develop rebounding skills that were better, defensive skills that were better, passing skills that were better and just keep shooting well. That's what I knew I had to do and needed to do. I had to change my game, refine my game. I knew I'd never have speed again. That was gone. But I had to be quicker with my eye hand and I had to get off the ground quicker. So it didn't mean that I could go up and dunk anymore, which I can't do anymore. I can't get up off the ground like that because I gained all the weight. You know, I play it somewhere in the neighborhood. I've gone from 205 to 215 as a player and a max of 220. And believe me, when I'm at 220, I'm not getting off the ground and dunking. But when I'm 205, I can grab the rim. So I changed my game. I started working out. I started doing box jumps every single day. I started doing more squats, leg presses, 
leg curls, calf raises, every kind of leg workout imaginable. I ran suicides. I ran miles, but I'd run them in intervals of tenths of a mile each, high speed, walk, and then run fast, walk, run fast, walk, run fast. Then I would lift a lot, so I got stronger in my shoulders, stronger in my arms, stronger everywhere, stronger in my abs, my core. I did all that, and then I swam. I was swimming Olympic laps, and I was getting cardio. The swimming is torture, but it really elevates your game because you work every muscle in your body, and your core gets stronger, and every muscle gets stronger, and you get better wind because swimming just tears you up. Swimming is almost like running, not jogging, but running fast. Because when you swim, you breathe so heavily. You're just like dying when you're swimming Olympic laps. Believe me, it's no fun. So I did all that so that I could play the game again. So I went back and I'm playing and I got in shape. Once I got in game shape and I had to stay in game shape, I just worked out like crazy seven days a week. So five days a week, Monday through Friday, I was training and lifting and swimming and doing all this stuff. But every morning I would shoot hundreds of J's, thousands a week. I did that every day and then I'd do the running and I would do the lifting and the swimming. And I did that every day. And then on Saturday and Sunday, all I did was play basketball. But I played for two and a half hours each. So I was literally playing for five hours straight of basketball on Saturday and Sunday. And I mean burning 1,500 calories while doing it and losing weight and getting in the best shape I'd been in since I was 20. And I was in literally the best shape of my life almost. When I was young in college, I was an athlete. So I played tennis. I played basketball. I was an athlete. I could run all day and play all day. I could play for six hours a day. Nothing stopped me. But when you're 44 years old and you're doing it, you got to be in some level of cardio game shape or you're not going to make it. You will fade fast. You'll play for an hour. You'll be shot. You'll be done. So I did all that so I could play ball. And when I went to play ball, I did not go looking for friends. I went to play ball, win, and score. And I really was never Mr. Defender, but I knew that if I was going to make it with these dudes that I didn't know, I didn't know any of them, and a lot of them didn't like me because I would stick J's in their face, and guys start talking trash, and I could talk trash with anybody. I talk for a living. I got a foul mouth, and believe me, you, I can get under your skin playing basketball. So I was not the guy you wanted to be buddy-buddy with on the basketball court. I'd light you up and let you know about it. So I didn't make any friends doing it. When I went there, I had nothing but problems, confrontations, arguments, fights, the whole deal. And then the strangest thing happened, and this goes back to the whole Hall of Fame story, is that literally I made more friends playing basketball there than I've ever made in my life doing anything. I made so many friends, I couldn't even believe it. It blew my mind. All the people that I really didn't care about, didn't want to know, wasn't looking for friends, didn't care about anything, teammates or anything like that, all of a sudden, I saw this transformation in my life where I was literally becoming exactly what I didn't want to become, which was friends with all these people I didn't know. I didn't need more friends. I wasn't looking for friends. I'm a 
fairly private dude. I don't really go out looking for attention, even though people may believe that, that I'm this guy on the radio or that I need everybody to love me or have adulation toward me or anything like that. I don't seek that. I've never been that guy. I like that people dig the show. I love that people are entertained. That's why I do it. I do it because people dig it and they love listening to it and it makes them happy and they're entertained and they enjoy it. That's why I do it. So I don't do it for friends, okay? I don't do it so I'm the most popular guy in the room. I really don't, and that's the bottom line. People that know me know that's true. But I can say unequivocally that I did not go to the gym to play basketball to make friends, and the strangest thing happened. I ended up making more friends than I'd ever had in my life, and those friends mean a lot to me. Those friends are the closest people to me in my life. I have great relationships with all of the guys that I play basketball with. Guys that couldn't stand me. I'll never forget, I played with this dude, Killer. He's my favorite player in the world. The best point guard I ever played with in my life. And I love playing with Fuego too, but Killer's so funny because Killer hates everybody. He just doesn't like you to begin with. And if you don't play defense and get back and hustle, you'll never play with him. He's never going to play with you. He will not play with people that don't play defense and hustle and get back and move the ball and cut and set screens. He just won't play. If you don't rebound and get the ball to him and transition, he's not playing with you. So when I first started playing against this guy, he lit me up like a Christmas tree and I would talk smack to him and he would give it back and he couldn't stand me. He hated me more than anyone else. I played with him one day at this gym near where I live. They call it the You're Not Welcome League because I went there on a Sunday once to play because the guy invited me because they needed a body. So I went to play and I was good, but I got lit up by this dude, killer. And I thought I could guard him and I couldn't. And he embarrassed me, humiliated me, and he talked to me about it. He said, literally, don't come back here. You're not welcome. We don't want you here. So I hope you enjoyed yourself today as I did you six ways till Sunday on the floor and make sure you never come back. So I used to call it the you're not welcome league. Meanwhile, this guy, I see him all the time playing on Saturdays, but never on Sundays because he was playing at that place. But on Saturdays, I would play against him and he would just do the same thing to me every time. Just light me up. And then I started busting my ass to prove him wrong about me, that he had me all wrong and that I could earn his trust and earn his respect and play hard and start playing defense and start hustling and get back and move the ball and cut and set screens and rebound and block shots and talk on D and call out screens and do everything that you have to do to be a baller. And I did all that. And then in two years, I finally earned his respect. And the strangest thing happened because I thought he was like the biggest dick I'd ever played with. But I thought he was a great player. I knew he was great. And I wanted badly to earn his respect as a player because I knew I had game. And then I did. I won him over. I knew I won him over when I started going there on Saturdays. And every single Saturday, he wanted me on his team. And then I played with him every single Saturday. And it's the craziest story, but I have played with this guy every single Saturday for almost 10 years. We're on the same team, and we have run the tables belly to belly. We've won every game. We have dominated the top court. We have been the best team. We have had the sickest lineup. 
So it's Killer Money, Pharrell, and Foz. And the four of us can beat anyone. We can just destroy anyone. Foz isn't even big. He's not even six foot tall. I'm 6'3", and Money's lightning fast, thunderbolt-type point guard that can do it all. But he's really a speedy two, and and Killer's the point. So Killer's a 55-year-old Jewish dude, bald, two knee braces on, a back brace, cheap shoes, doesn't have the look of a baller. But boy, does this guy play. He plays better. He's literally the best player in the gym. There must be 50 players that play there, and he's the best player in the gym, and everybody knows it. Everybody wishes they could play with him. But they know that if you don't play hard, he won't respect you. So I've always played with him, and I've literally played with him every single Saturday. It's automatic that I'm going to be playing on his team. And I've played with him every week, and it's the funniest thing. The guy's super shy. He doesn't talk. He doesn't like people. He's not a guy that wants to have yap and talk and schmooze and all this other stuff and talk about people and have conversations or talk about how your day is going. He's not that guy. He's a very quiet guy. He sticks to himself. But the funniest thing happened. I became great friends with him. I ball with him every single time I see him. We always play together. I've had parties at my house, huge parties, keg parties, drink parties, football parties, holiday parties, birthday parties, barbecue parties, and I always invite Killer, and he shows up. He shows up at my parties. Meanwhile, he can't stand people, and he doesn't like being around a lot of people, but he is very quiet guy, super shy, but he comes to my parties. Want to light the lamp on DraftKings and FanDuel this NHL DFS season? Then join DailyRoto.com and learn from the best daily fantasy sports players. Get updated fantasy hockey projections for NHL DFS, line combinations, and build stacks for tournaments in the Daily Roto NHL DFS lineup optimizer. If you are playing daily fantasy hockey without using Daily Roto, you are doing it wrong. Enter the promo code ACTION for a 10% discount. That's promo code ACTION for a 10% discount. Hey everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. I'm still on my own journey, but I want to be transparent with you, because as I was posting all the highlights of my life on social media, I was breaking down. And too many people fall victim to the picture-perfect image of the high life, so I created a space to discuss the good and the bad. We can laugh, man. We, we gonna learn. And most of all, I hope to inspire you to go on this journey with me to better mental health. This is gonna be your church, your turn up, and everything in between. So join me on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, a safe space for every kind of person. Listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I have developed the greatest relationship with this guy and friendship, and it's just kind of a basketball friendship. We are friends through basketball, and that's my point of all of this, is that basketball does that to people. Basketball makes you humble basketball makes you have friendships and ties that bind teammates that you never forget relationships championships that we won we'll always remember that we'll always be 
strung together by those titles and the guys on those teams have always maintained friendships and laughs and we always revert back to the same thing that we won the title and that we won titles and that we stayed together and played together and we talk about the memories of those games and those seasons that we had and the ups and downs and the injuries and everything else and the great moments and you never forget that stuff and you just see it every time it comes back every time the friendships so when guys talk about getting into the hall of fame like kg and duncan and the coach at baylor and catchings and all this mulvey and these guys they all talk about the relationships and the friendships and the bonds and the years and the successes and failures and the winning and the losing and it all comes flowing out and how much the game means to them and how much they adore the game and that they all say the same thing i just wanted to play ball i never knew i'd be here i just wanted to play the game i love i didn't think i'd ever get into the hall of fame and it makes you start getting sappy i well up it's not even me that's getting in I have nothing to do with it, but I'm listening to these players like Garnett talk about getting in and what it means to them. And I get all choked up because I know what it's like. I don't know what it's like to get into the Hall of Fame, but I know what it's like to be on teams and to play basketball every single day and the grind and the things you go through and the ups and downs and the travels and everything that goes with it all of it the games the fights the arguments the sweat the blood the tears it's all part of it and that's why i get so worked up when i hear these guys and these ladies talk about getting into the hall of fame what it means to them because it means that much to me it means that much to me that even them getting in rudy tomjanovich Eddie Sutton's kid talking about his dad being thrilled he can get in because his dad's been sick. He can't even talk. But just what it means to him, that it does mean something. It's the greatest accomplishment in life. And it's all because they love the game of basketball. All of it comes back to loving the game. It's the craziest thing. I play ball every day, rain or shine, even during the Pharrell Demick. I have the rack set up in my driveway. I got my old hoop set up and it's beat up and old and it has all kinds of bounce to it and give to it and it rattles and shakes and everything else when you play. But it doesn't matter to me. It reminds me of a basketball court that's beat up, that's been through hell, that's been through millions of shots and games and bad weather and it's tipped over, it's crashed into the truck, it's been destroyed, it's been brought back from the dead. But I'm out there grinding every day. I shoot thousands of shots a week still in my driveway. I can't play in the gym. All the gyms are closed. All the city courts are closed. They took down all the rims at the city courts in New York City, literally every one of them. Rucker Park, all of them. 
Forest Street. They took them all down. They locked them with padlock and chain. But you can't stop people from shooting in their driveways. So I got my driveway court going and my kids play chop and gun. They're constantly out there racking. I'm out there racking. I've done it in the pouring rain and the cold. I've been out there shooting in 35 degrees, soaking wet balls, freezing hands, numb hands. It doesn't matter. I'll play whether there's a Pharrell-demic or not. The virus doesn't stop me, nothing. I just go out every single day and fill it up. I love it. I can't live without it. I watch basketball on TV, the NBA channel. They show old games, old playoff games. They do everything all day long to kill the time without basketball. And uh, I watch old games. I can't get enough of it. I'm watching, as I do this show, I'm watching a Spurs Nuggets Game 7 first round Western Conference playoff series from back in the day. I'll watch anything. I know that the season has been suspended and there is a lot of talk. And I think it is going to happen. They're going to cancel the season entirely. I'm starting to believe that the NBA and Silver and all the owners and everyone coaches, medical personnel, doctors, physicians, everyone that's involved, the government. I know that the president has said he wants everybody back playing sports in August, September. It's just not going to work for the NBA. I think they're actually going to cancel the season altogether. They're going to just absolutely eradicate it, which is the craziest thing ever. So I just wanted to go back again to the big tickets on. This ain't no joke. Think about it. 21 seasons in the NBA. One of the greatest power forwards of all time. One of four NBA players to win both the MVP and Defensive Player of the Year. He was a defensive freak. In high school, he played as a McDonald's All-American at Farragut Academy in Chicago and won National Player of the Year. He entered the 95 NBA draft. He was selected fifth by the T-Wolves and became the first NBA player drafted directly out of high school in 20 years. He's from South Carolina, 6'11", 240. He ended up playing from 95 to 2016. He played with the T-Wolves, Celtics, Nets, and T-Wolves again. But his highlights in his career are just sickening. NBA champion in 2008 with the Celtics, where he was just an absolute badass. The NBA MVP in 2004 a 15-time NBA All-Star, 97, 98, 2000 to 2011, 11 straight times, and then 2013 again. NBA All-Star Game MVP in 2003, a four-time All-NBA first-teamer in 2000, 2003, 2004, and 2008. He was a three-time All-NBA second team in 2001, 2002, and 2005. 
He was a two-time All-NBA third team in 99 and 2007. He was the NBA Defensive Player of the Year in 2008 when they won the title in Boston. He was the reason they won the title. A nine-time NBA All-Defensive first team. That is crazy. Nine-time All-Defensive first team. 2000, 2001, 2002, 2003, 2004, 2005, 2008, 2009, and 2011. A three-time NBA All-Defensive second team in 2006, 2007, and 2012. He was NBA All-Rookie second team in 96, a four-time NBA rebounding champion in 2004, 2005, 2006, and 2007. He dominated the glass. He was a Citizenship Award winner in 2006. Mr. Basketball USA in 95 when he got drafted. A McDonald's All-American Game MVP in 95. A two-time first-team parade All-American in 94 and 95. He was Illinois' Mr. Basketball in 1995 at Farragut. In his career, 26,071 points. He averaged 17.8 points a game. In his career, 14,662 rebounds, averaging 10 rips per game. That's crazy. Double-double. And then assists, 5,445 He averaged 3.7 dimes per game. He was on the Olympic team in 2000, and he played in the FIBA America's Championship in 99. The guy was incredible. He led the T-Wolves to eight consecutive playoff appearances. In 2004, he led the T-Wolves to the Western Conference Finals and won the NBA MVP award. That's crazy. He was named to 15 All-Star Games, winning the All-Star MVP award in 2003, and is currently tied for third most All-Star selections with 15. So Defensive Player of the Year in 07-08 has been selected nine times for the All-NBA teams, 12 times for All-Defensive teams, He holds several T-Wolves franchise records. Of course, you get a nickname like the Big Ticket because you dunk and you're athletic and everybody wants to see you play. That's the deal there. Big Ticket, son. This ain't no joke. In 07, after 12 seasons with the T-Wolves, he joined the Celtics in a huge trade. In his first year, he helped lead him to a championship while also finishing third in the MVP race. In 2013, he was included in a gigantic trade that sent him to the Nets with Paul Pierce. In 2015, he was traded back to Minnesota. He announced his retirement 
in September of 2016. And of course, I told you in an early For All and Avenge podcast that he did his acting debut in the 2019 film with Adam Sandler, Uncut Gems. And I thought he did a nice job on that. So the story goes, when he was in high school at Malden High in South Carolina, he was involved in this huge team fight. He was not directly involved, but he was charged anyway. It was expunged with a pretrial intervention, and there was racial charges involved in this. And then the family feared he'd be a target of racial discrimination so they let him transfer to Farragut in Chicago on the west side for his senior year of high school that's when he lived with his sister in the Windy City and Farragut went 28 and 2 and he was the national player of the year by USA Today Mr. Basketball in Illinois he averaged 25 17 and 6 with six and a half blocks while shooting 66% from the field. In four years of high school, he posted 2,500 points, 1,800 rebounds plus, and 700 plus block shots. He played alongside Ronnie Fields, who also became a pro basketball player. He was named the most outstanding player at the All-American game, McDonald's style. He had 18, 11, four dimes and three block shots and then said, I'm going pro. And then to mark the 35th anniversary of the McDonald's All-American High School Boys Basketball Game, he was honored as one of the 35 greatest McDonald's All-Americans ever. He wasn't going to play college. He didn't do well on the ACT to meet the NCAA requirements. He says that if he would have played basketball in college, he would have gone to the University of Maryland. So it's just crazy, the story about this guy. He had a bunch of workouts for pro teams. A Chicago coach referred him with this agent, Eric Fleischer, who was an agent for 18 NBA players, and he ended up giving him all these workouts in Chicago and all these teams sent reps like 13 teams with lottery picks sent reps guys like Kevin McHale Elgin Baylor Flip Saunders and Kevin Lockery were among them for the workouts and the guy was touching the box painted on the backboard above the rim multiple times and the guy eventually found out that he had passed the SAT and he could have gone to Maryland but He went pro, and he did the right thing. The guy was a stud his entire career. I always remember before games, the guy would bang his head against the stanchion at the end of the, on the rim, you know, the big machine that holds up the rim and the basket in the NBA. He'd always stand down there and smash his head off of it. But a lot of people thought he was seven foot. But the guy was incredible. The guy was 6'11", barefoot. So he was seven foot with shoes on. So I really wanted to talk about Garnett on this show because I think that he gets, obviously, massive respect for his career. But he gets overlooked because of Kobe Bryant 
And I think Tim Duncan and everybody else that got in to the hall deserves massive amounts of attention. But I just wanted to focus on the big ticket because I just thought he was such a badass defensively, rebounding, blocking shots, running and gunning and dunking and finishing. And what he did from high school for 21 seasons in the NBA is just flat out sickening. And everybody loves the big ticket because anything is possible. You got to love another edition of the Pharrell on the Bench podcast. Shake it. Want to be the next Daily Fantasy Millionaire? Dunk on your NBA DFS competition with DailyRoto.com and dominate on FanDuel and DraftKings this season. Compete with the pros with DailyRoto.com, Optimizer, and the most accurate projections in NBA DFS, plus lineup alerts, breaking news, late swap support, and much more. Save 10% on winning NBA DFS advice with promo code DUNK. Visit DailyRoto.com backslash DUNK to learn more. Hey everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I, we get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. Hey, it's going to be your church and your turn up. So listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.